reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Case to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO or the ROC. Ho. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music biz number one supplier. Flying in a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, Ho. What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Amatella Kataias podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Got a jam-packed, busy show, and a lot to get off my chest, and a lot I want to uh, I, I want to speak my mind about. Uh, you know the obvious with the Baltimore Orioles in the last couple of days with them, uh, definitely for sure. I'll touch on that. I will also speak on the LA Angels that can't get out of their own way with their season on life support with their victory against the uh, uh, San Francisco Giants on Wednesday night. Be damned. Uh, the uh, Tim Anderson versus Jose Ramirez fight on a Saturday night. I get into that. It's some NFL training camp stuff as we move along uh, with our program here this week. Nice to have you with us. Uh, this, I tell you, well... You all know where I'm going to begin and where I am going to lead off uh, with this show. And, you know, I've been a fan of the Baltimore Orioles for, what, since 2000, I've, since I was three years old, so you do the math, since 2006. So about... 18 years, 18, 19 years, 19 or so seasons. And let me tell you something. When you're a fan of a team, as long as I've been a fan, you, your mindset as you get older on, on your beloved favorite team, it changes, it, you know, it warps, it kind of molds into something. Over time, whether you know you see your team win, you see them lose, how they lose, the players that you see come and go throughout the years, and the people that know me say, "Well, Jai, why is it?" And even now, with the way that my two teams have been playing, dating back to the. 2021 Bengals season, and then as recently as 2022 with my uh, Baltimore Orioles. But people ask me all the time, they say, Jai, why is it that more times than not, you always look at your teams and how they fare throughout their season? Why do you always look at it with a glass half-empty mentality? Even when things on paper or right in front of you aren't as bad as you make them out to be. The Orioles sweep the New York Mets this past weekend. A In their first opponent that had a sub-500 record heading into last weekend since they've played the Kansas City Royals back in early June, whom they swept at Camden Yards. They sweep the Mets. They become the second team in all of baseball to eclipse the 70 win benchmark. They're the sec they were the first team in the American League to accomplish that feat. Now building at the time their first place lead on the 
doggy paddling, keeping their head above water, but still right in our shadow, Tampa Bay Rays. They were riding a four-game winning streak, dating back to their win last Thursday afternoon at, at the Rogers Center against the Toronto Blue Jays. And they, really since the calendar flipped the, really since, if you want to be fair about it, since they uh, found a way to split the uh, Yankees stadium finale against the Yankees, they've been on a roll and they haven't looked back. In a season where their attendance is up, not just within the second half of the season, but throughout this entire season for them. And a season where we've seen the call-ups of the likes of Colton Kowser, Jordan Westberg. It's Adley Rutschman's first full season in the major leagues. The emergence, the surprise emergence of Ryan O'Hearn. The, imp- the improvement of guys like Anthony Santander. The surprise emergence, at least early in the season with Yenier Cano. The record-shattering, j- shattering, jaw-dropping season of closer Felix Batista. The vibes as a diehard Orioles fan, lifelong, and as a local Baltimorean. The vibes in this city were as high and as immaculate and as refreshing around the Baltimore Orioles as they've been in the last nine years. Arguably, maybe ever in within the last 25 plus years or so they find a way to sweep the Mets on Sunday afternoon Monday morning comes along an off day prior to their final series of the six game homestand against the defending champion Houston Astros I go to work, do my thing at work, call the Uber, come home, look at my phone, seeing Twitter is blowing up. I go to Twitter, do some digging, and find out that our young, popular, Outstanding play-by-play broadcaster, Kevin Brown, apparently has been suspended and has been suspended indefinitely for the last few weeks. So I'm like, well, why, why is that the case? Did he, did he, you know, did he say anything racist? Did he say anything uh, bigoted about anybody or to somebody getting into a fight? Did he, you know, did he, what, 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 why, why isn't Kevin Brown on the air? Because keep in mind, folks, he hadn't been on the air for, since the Tampa series. He wasn't on TV during the Philly series. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay, he's on radio. 
his break into the Orioles broadcasting team, I guess you could say, was doing games first on radio, and then they, and then he eventually went, you know, full time over to uh, to TV. He didn't think anything of it. He was on the air, you know, on the radio in the Philly series. I, I said, okay, fine. Then we come home a couple weekends ago to play the Yankees. We only had the one game. Both teams only had the one game on their regional sports network because the Saturday because the Saturday and Sunday game, the back two games were on uh, Fox and ESPN. So I said, "All right, well, Kevin essentially has broadcasted pretty much every Orioles game since he came back from doing the College World Series." Uh, because he because he does because he broadcasts college softball for ESPN. Didn't think anything, didn't think anything of it. Okay, they give him you know they give him the weekend off and we'll see. So you know there's no point going from Philadelphia to Baltimore and then just to head back up no, even north you know even uh, up north further up north to Toronto for the Blue Jays series. So okay, fine. Didn't think anything of it. Then the Blue Jays series came and went. No Kevin. No Kevin on radio. No Kevin on TV. Then the new then we come home to play the Mets. I turn on the game Friday night. Hear no Kevin Brown. I said, okay, now something. Why where is Kevin Brown's nowhere to be found? He's not he hasn't been on TV, radio, he hasn't tweeted anything, letting the, what somebody has send a somebody send an amber alert out there for Kevin Brown because I haven't had word, heard word of where he of his whereabouts why he isn't going to games something's got to be up. Then I check. Then I check my phone when I get off work Monday afternoon and see that Kevin Brown was suspended, and this was first reported, not by the team, not by Masson, not, no, it was, the news was, the news was broken and was reported by somebody, not by somebody, it was broke by awful announcing. The sports broadcasting, sports television blog website and I read the headline and then read the article and saw that Kevin Brown was suspended indefinitely at the time for simply reading a graphic on television Live television before that Sunday's O's Rays game on July the, what, what day was that? July the 23rd. So, and I was like, I watched this game. I, I, I waited with bated breath on every pitch, heard every word that he and Ben McDonald uttered out of their mouths all innings one through nine. 
I watched it live. I was on Twitter during the game. I was like, I, I said, like, did I miss something? Because I what I was sat here in the same desk and I'm doing my show right here right now. I said I watched. I was like I was on Twitter before the game, during the game, after the game. I was like, am I missing something here? Am I, I, I am I missing something? Then I read that he was suspended by quote unquote Oriole management. Which, in translation, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that are not that are slow on the uptake of how the Baltimore Orioles franchise and the Masson TV production is run, Orioles production is AKA for John Angelos, and saw that Kevin Brown was suspended for essentially reading a graphic stating how much better. The Orioles are in 2023 when they play the Tampa Bay Rays, especially at Tropicana Field, compared to last season, 21, 20, 19, 18, and so on and so forth. Basically, they suspended him from John Angelos' point of view for being negative, having a making disparaging comments about the team, not waving the oil pom poms and blowing smoke up our asses, and trying and attempting to pull a wall over the fan base's eyes. And when I read that, my blood was boiling because, and somebody has to explain this to me, where in the hell does John Angelos get his balls? Where in the hell does this bastard get his balls to suspend Kevin Brown for reading, for simply reading a graphic that was in a complimentary tone towards the team that he owns. How thin-skinned, how moronic, how idiotic, how self-absorbed and mentally warped do you have to be to do something as egregious and as asinine as that. And another thing. I thought this was the United States of America. Free press, freedom of speech, First Amendment right. Just because you sign the paychecks for, in this case, Masson, a garbage, garbage, quote-unquote, sports network. All they show, for those of you all that don't have it, that don't watch the Orioles game, here's all you need to know. There literally is no sense in watching that channel during Orioles off days and during the off season. Because 
Baltimore doesn't have a basketball team or a hockey team, no fault of their own, but literally all they do if they're not showing Orioles games or reruns of old Orioles games, you know what they put on? They put on reruns of boxing matches happening in the Middle East from six, seven, eight, hell, probably 10 years ago. And what they used to do is basically run a bootleg telecast of whatever was on ESPN News. I mean, whatever happened to free speech? I understand that the owners for these baseball teams that happen to own the RSNs that broadcast their team's games, a la Yes, a la SNY, a la uh, Masson. But somebody has to explain to me where the line is in between making sure that your broadcasters don't slander the franchise during a game and all in all state-controlled media. And this is the thing that really, really, really pisses me off about this. The Angelos family, that's John, that's his father, have owned the Orioles since 1993. This is an ownership that literally, and if you're not going to take my word for it, Whose word will you take for it? This is an ownership group that since they have bought this team, my baseball team, my grandmother's baseball team, my grandfather's baseball team, my father's baseball team, my uncle's baseball team, Baltimore's baseball team, a franchise that was one of the be- was one of the more successful franchises. And all of Major League Baseball, from the 60s to the early 80s, that sold out every game, every game in April, May, June, July, August, September, and the playoffs in October, that played in World Series in 66 and 69 and 70 and 71, 79, and 1983. And these crumb snatchers bought this team 30 years ago, and hasn't done a damn thing since they've bought the team outside of winning three lousy playoff series, win two lousy division titles, and lose in three ALCSs. They have done nothing in their 30 years of owning the team. And I got John Angels with the temerity, the audacity, the chutzpah, and the unmitigated freaking goal to suspend Kevin Brown over something as asinine and as ass-backwards as reading a graphic off a teleprompter highlighting that his team in 2023, a team that he signs the checks and clears on the 1st and 15th of every single month, is Somehow, and, and thank praise be to God, 
better and more watchable when they play the Tampa Bay Rays in 2023 compared to the lousy embarrassment that they were in 22, 21, 20, 19, 18, and so on and freaking so forth. And I got John Angelos when his team has the best record in the American League is in first place in this gauntlet of a division. Has kicked the piss out of the Yankees, the Rays, the Blue Jays. Has gone toe-to-toe with every single team that has stood in their way on a nightly basis. They lost the series, but the Dodgers, they find a way to win. The, the Angels, they find a way to win. I understand they're struggling, but they have no tying on the team. They find a way, they find ways to win against the, against the, 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 the Phillies, they find ways to win. Against the Atlanta Braves, they found ways to win. Every single team that they have faced this season, at minimum one game, the Orioles have found a way to beat them. One of the most gritty, gutty, mentally and physically tough baseball teams and exciting and fun baseball teams because God knows when the last time we've had that here in Baltimore. One of the more exciting baseball teams that has given me more joy and has given me already, and it's and we're only in August 9th, has given me more memories than, than, than arguably speaking, any of the Angels owned Orioles teams of my lifetime. This team was garbage from 98 to 2011. I was 10 years old by the time I saw my team play past game 162. I was 12 when I saw them win a division. I was 12 when I saw them win a playoff series. One of the most gritty, gutty, fun teams and great teams that I have seen and witnessed in all of my years as an Orioles fan. And John Angels is that selfish. He's that self-centered. He's that much of a despicable piece of shit bastard of an owner that he feels the need to, 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 to send out to the wolves and send his late popular broadcaster into purgatory over something as stupid as reading a freaking graphic. That newsflash, John, was meant to highlight your team. Not to slander them. I mean, it really, really, really drives me up a damn wall that I got John Angelos. Man, can't even pass a bar exam and all of a sudden he thinks he's some he's some great TV producer. More worried than thinking he's Colonel Tom Parker inviting these F-list country music stars to perform after these games than he is more concerned with winning baseball games. And getting off his ass and signing the goddamn lease. Cheap as hell, never want a thing. Weak, sensitive, 
feeble, a pathetic embarrassment. Him and his old ass father, a pathetic embarrassment. They took one of the more prideful, more storied franchises in all of baseball that isn't named the Red Sox, the Yankees, or the L.A. Dodgers, and in 30 years have spent more time as a feeble, pathetic embarrassment than they have been the cream of the crop in all of Major League Baseball. And he has the nerve, the chutzpah, the temerity, the unmitigated goal to, to throw Kevin Brown to the wolves. When all he was doing was sitting up there and complimenting your team. That isn't an unmitigated, unwatchable disaster against a certain division opponent for a change. Really. I mean, you must, you must be kidding me. And this is not, and I don't want, why are you so upset? This is not John Angelos' first rodeo with pulling this bull jive. His father didn't, re, didn't renew John Miller's contract, the former radio play-by-play -play guy back in the 80s and early 90s for us, because God forbid he didn't kiss his ass and, shove, and, 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 and eat and swallow the shit that the Orioles were shoveling. In the 90s that he tried to that he tried to blow smoke up our ass and get us and convince us as a fan base to buy it, Joe. They lowballed Gary Thorne in 2020. Oh yeah, Gary Thorne will be back. Well then 2020 COVID season came and went, and went, nobody knew where Gary Thorne went. Didn't get a statement, didn't didn't get a tweet, nothing. COVID season worse falling apart at the Steam turn the Orioles game. Well, at least we can hear Gary Thorian again. Nope, we got Scott Garcia put us all to sleep. This is the same, the same douchebag that fired Ryan Wagner the morning of opening day 2021. The first time you guys have had fans in a ballpark in over a year. Wagner's like, can't wait for opening day. He starts frolicking over to the ballpark, and they and they tell him, hey, turn around, and they send him home. Over what? Bigotry, racist tweets. Got in trouble with the Lord? No. Because he had the nerve. How dare he? Criticize the Orioles on his Twitter account. You can take your Kim Jong-un state-run media mindsets, John, and shove them up your ass. Again, this guy, son of a billionaire who's accomplished and has done nothing with his life. Guy can't pass a freaking bar exam and he has the balls to tell Kevin Brown how to do his job. And as a result, he embarrasses the franchise. He embarrasses me, you, and their mother, the fan. He embarrasses the players, the manager, Brandon Hyde, the coaching staff, and the GM. Because this isn't on him. This isn't on Michael Elias or Adley or Gunner or Austin Hayes or Aaron Hicks. Or Jorge Mateo or Felix Bautista. This is on the owner. He's the boss. The buck stops with him. 
while Orioles managed did it. Bull crap. John Angelos did it. He runs mass and it was his call. It was his decision. And if somebody else other than he did it, he signs the checks. He's the boss of the team. If something went down that he didn't necessarily agree with, have the guts to stand up and say something. Say, guys, what are we, what, we were suspending him over this. These guys are probably... We're suspending him and then trying to brush it under the rug as if nothing ever happened. And trying to pull a wall over our fan base's eyes as, as smart and as, and as in tune with all aspects of the thing. No, we're not doing this. What the, no, we're not... No! Did he choose to do that? Even if that was the case, which I highly doubt, but if that was the case, did he do that? The answer is no. The answer is no. Here it is. His team is kicking ass and taking names en route to, as of right now, clinch the number one seed in the American League. Again, when was the last time that's ever happened in his 30 years of he and his father running this damn team? Never. On pace to probably win well over 100 games. And he sticks his beak into this, this dream of a season thus far. And creates a, a as big of a distraction as you can without any player or anybody within the organization with their name being attached to criminal charges or a lawsuit with deviant deviant behavior, a la Deshaun Watson. I mean, John and Susan from the Yankees booth ripped them. Michael Kay ripped them. Jason Benetti, the play-by-play guy for the White Sox, ripped them. The Nessa crew that broadcast that broadcast the Red Sox, Gary Cohen, the great broadcaster he is for SNY, everybody and their mothers ripping this guy. And Adley Rutschman and Ryan Mountcastle on an off day go on Twitter to say, oh, let me just, you know, check out the match, see what it, see what's going on. You know, hey, let me enjoy my off day. And they literally say that everybody and their mother with a microphone and a platform is killing their stupid ass owner because they suspended a broadcaster for for just complimenting his team. Scott Van Pelt, Ryan Clark commented on it. Mike Golick, Steve White, these guys, these are football guys. Said, am I missing something here? This, what is this? Ashley Nicole Moss. Freaking Larry the Cable guy said something. Paige Sporadic, Spartak, I don't even pronounce it, I don't pronounce the name. In between doing YouTube videos on trying not to three put some course out there in Arizona, she said, when has we as society gotten just so stiff and gotten just so just, just unhuman? Even she said something. They're making fun of them on CNN for crying out loud. Everywhere you look on the internet, in the print, and on television, the Orioles are number one, or or the or the or the number one non-news slash politics story in the world this week, or in this country. They're the number one story, 
Is it because they swept the Mets? No. Is it because they're in first place in the AL East with the current best record in all of baseball? No. Is it because that they have Valley Rutschman, Connor Anderson that are hitting the freaking cover off the ball? No. Is it because of the fact that they that they were the first major league team to eclipse uh, seventy wins? No. What? What? Why are the Baltimore Orioles in the news? Not because of the product on the field that every single one of every single one of those guys one to twenty six has worked it has busted their ass since February to put themselves in the position that they are right now, but we can't talk about it because they're stupid, selfish, moronic, infantile, thin-skinned loser of a, of a boss that they have has them in the news because he inexplicably and erroneously suspended a broadcaster over something as simple as reading a graphic, which in case you guys that aren't in the Webs and weaves of the journalism business. That means when you have a production meeting, you have the play-by-play broadcaster, you have the graphics person, you have the broad, you have the 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 you have a you have a producer, you have you have your 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 your, your statistician. There's a whole lot of people that that are that are in the kitchen. When when you see these graphics that you, that you know that you. Watch during during a telecast, during a broadcast of a of a of a, a live sporting event of some kind. You have the play-by-play guy. You have you have the broadcasters. You have the statistician. You have the graphics guy that punches it up. If there's a certain set they want to highlight, they make sure they highlight this. They have they have the producers and this that and the third that that sign off on it, make sure everything's correct and everything's on the up and up. So if you're going to throw Kevin Brown to the wolves, which is even more asinine the more and more I say it under John Angelos's ass backwards logic he should have been not Brown should have been suspended the producers the people in the mass and truck that day should have been suspended the graphics guy should have been suspended everybody that had everybody that had the little intricate small role in creating that graphic should have gotten shelved because realistically, all Kevin did was just read it on air for us Orioles fans to hear. It's all the people that worked behind the scenes were the ones that actually did the work, punched it up, and gave it the okay to go on top live television. So what did Kevin? So what? So let me get this straight. If it's that egregious, it's going to suspend Kevin Brown for it. Why are you suspending him and not the people behind the scenes? Not that they deserve it, but to, to in this. In my analogy, to to fit Angelos's ass backwards decision, what what the other guys get off scot free, which on a, which on an entirely another level, just lacks total common sense and decency and intelligence. And this team has to come, had to come to work. Tuesday night against the defending American League champions when they should have been answering questions on Dusty Baker getting a little cute with the President of the United States behind the microphone in the White House basically saying we're the hardest team that the Orioles have faced all season. This is their biggest test yet, yet they've won 70 games. They should have been answering questions about that and how do they plan to keep their winning streak rolling after sweeping the hell out of the New York Mets? 
Instead, they had to work with this proverbial black cloud hanging over the stadium because they know everybody and their mother hasn't shut up in the last 24 hours about their stupid boss. And I don't want to hear anything, well, well, it's not a big deal, it's that and the third. Listen, they might not, I know they're not allowed to talk about it to the media, to no columnist, no beat writer, no journalist, but if you think that they haven't talked about this embarrassing fiasco amongst themselves in the privacy of the clubhouse, at their houses, out to eat for lunch, amongst their wives, their girlfriends, their their nuclear and extended families. You, got, I got a bridge to sell you in Russia. A complete and utter distraction. A, a, a proverbial piano of a weight placed on their shoulders that they subconsciously feel the need they have to carry because this son of a bitch opened up his, opened stuck his beak into a beautiful season bad enough you kind of sort of had the the background noise about the fact that this guy still can't get off his ass and find a way to sign the damn lace the Orioles are technically homeless after this season and this Muppet is still dragging his ass about signing the freaking lease. Sign a lease and get the hell out of Baltimore by selling the team. Now. I was at the game last night. It was like. And part of me was annoyed because it showed up late. I walked through the gate at 722 for a 705 first pitch. But like my entire mood during the night was like, why? Like, I wasn't enjoying myself. You walked into the building and you could feel the negative, the, 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 the bad juju, the bad karma, the bad vibes, the negative energy, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it, you could feel it in the building last night. At least while I was there. You could feel it. You could feel it. And then in the game Monday night, Jorge Mateo robs a home run in one inning and can't make a less harder of a catch in the ninth with runners on base. Now, part of it is because he has zero business being on the roster. I'm saving my on-the-field Orioles rant for another time. But, and then you have that happen. Then you had an opportunity to strike Kyle Tucker out on a foul tip. James McCann can't hold on to it. And, you, hey, I understand the Astros are a good team. I'm not get, taking away anything from that. But if you watch the game carefully, and closely, there are intricate 50-50 things where you say, you know, the, the, the common uh, phrase, the baseball gods. Or, you know, if you're, if you're a, 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 a Christian like I am, you, you know, you'll say, like what Mad Dog says all the time, God plays in the games. And you'll notice, well, certain periods of a game, Monday night, and I saw it in person Tuesday, where... You felt that it was, you felt that there was some, that there was some force. There was, it was, 
it was God or 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 something along those those spiritual lines of where had where you say to yourself, had this happened this time last week, it probably would have went in our favor. Borderline calls with with uh, you know with, with with strike balls at the plate. Jose Abreu getting called for a hit by pitch when at, when all when he literally got out of the way and all Adley did was catch the ball behind his stomach. Things like that. And you mean to tell me that there isn't some sort of vex or something along those lines? A, a curse, whatever you want to call it? Because this, because, excuse my French, because this asshole suspended Kevin Brown over nothing? Really? And I'd say something right now. If you think I'm pissed and living now, God forbid my team's season goes up in smoke. Goes up in smoke and we look feeble in October because you didn't did your little, because you didn't sold, your, sold the devil or some twisted crap. And... Us as a as a fan base, the team, one through twenty six, and everybody else within the Orioles organization that isn't named John Angelos has to feel essentially the wrath of God, so to speak, because of what you did to Kevin Brown unjustly, throwing him to the wolves, and then not, and then and then because he has no guts, he 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 privates. The 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 Mass and Orioles Facebook page, and then he takes away the, the the email feedback portion on his dopey Mass and Sports website. A gutless, ballless, pathetic disgrace of not just to the Orioles organization and to the players and the fans that make the team what it is. But a disgrace to Baltimore, a disgrace to Maryland, a disgrace to the DMV, a disgrace to Major League Baseball, a disgrace to professional sports. John Angels is a disgrace. His family is a disgrace to humanity. And the sooner, if you're that thin-skinned, why the hell are you owning a professional sports team? You donkey! And the sooner he sells the team or Manfred and the other 29 owners get together and vote him the hell out, the better off the Orioles franchise is going to be. Not just for the here and now, but for the long term. Sell the team. John, sell it. And if you're Manfred and the other 29 owners, if he isn't going to sell it, get off your ass work behind closed doors, and kick him the hell out. Because this is because this is a disgrace. You would have thought the last couple of days of yours were the worst team in the sport drawing flies at the ballpark. This is a team that has over 70-something wins and first place with the best record in the American League. 
that is a dark horse, quote-unquote, World Series favorite. And this Muppet selfishly, bluntly, and unceremoniously stole the spotlight from every single one of those guys in that locker room. And that's Brandon Hyde, who I'm on like flies on crap since he's been here. But damn it, he's done a good job. Has had his moments of flagrant stupidity and piss poor managing, but for the most part, he's done his job. And for, the, and for this jerk, this fool, this muppet, this donut, this, this ass, this buffoon of an owner, of a man, John Angelos, to steal a spotlight from those guys 1 through 26 and that manager and his coaching staff is so heinously despicable. It, it, I run out of words to describe how pissed off I am and how pissed off the rest of the Orioles franchise is. It's a joke, man. It's a joke. Because if you're Rob Manfred and the other 29 owners, you like the fact that one of your quote-unquote underdog teams, your small market teams, and, they, and the Orioles aren't like, and don't, even, and don't get it twisted. That's because the Orioles don't have the payroll of the Yankees and the L.A. Dodgers doesn't mean that when they're good, the baseball world notices and the sports world notices. Because, again, from the mid-60s to the early 80s, this team was the cream of the crop within its sport that has had players of the likes of Frank and Boog and, and JP and and Brooks and Cal and Eddie Murray. Some of the best players that have ever played this game have played for the Orioles organization at one point in time or another. This isn't, you know, with all due respect, the Tampa Bay Rays. This ain't, this, ain't, this ain't the Tampa Bay Rays. This isn't the Colorado Rockies. Baltimore Orioles, who once upon a time were a prideful organization with leadership and ownership that gave a damn, that was committed to excellence, that was committed to winning championships. Unlike this clown show that we've been under for the last 30 years. And we, we and when we've been fortunate enough to surpass the tomfoolery and the and the goobers foolishness, it's been in spite of ownership, not because. Because again, one more time, three ALCS appearances, three playoff series wins. Z Two division titles. That's zero. That's zero World Series appearances slash American League championships. Zero World Series titles, and seventeen years of ineptitude and and pathetic embarrassment at its worst. 
and an apathetic state of mediocrity at its best from 98 to 2011. Remember, Peter Angelos was the same fool, fool, that fired Davy Johnson, who, un, who, along with the 83 team that was here this weekend, have done something that the Angelos have not, and that's contributed to an Orioles World Championship. Won the World Series with the Mets in 86. This is the same family, Peter, John's senile father, who fired, fired Davey Johnson, who got to the ALCS and won Manager of the Year. He fired him. Fired him. Back-to-back -back ALCS appearances. Something that this franchise, outside of that 96-97 period, Something this franchise did frequently and often, but prior to that, hadn't done. And if I were to punch up and do the math quickly in my head, relatively in a, in a 20 to 25-year period. Something that they did frequently. Remember, this team played in consecutive World Series in 69, 70, and 1971. That's three consecutive ALCS appearances slash championships. You go back to 66. That's what? Four World Series in what? A six, seven year period. And like the then named Washington Redskins, another franchise in the DMV that was that is beloved and revered by not just in its fan base, but amongst the sport, in their case, the NFL, somehow, someway, fell into the hands of a careless, reckless stooge who has done nothing but brought turmoil, controversy, embarrassment on and off the field since they've owned the team. Dan Snyder no longer owns the Washington Redskins slash football team slash commanders. I only pray that I can say the same within the not too distant future about Peter and John Angelos and my, my families, Baltimore's. Maryland's Orioles. I got to take a breather. Take a break. Back in two seconds. Now, in terms of the Orioles' <clears throat> on-field product, um, I'll say this uh, concerning... I won't spend too much... The Mets... As I'll say this one, the one thing I got to say about the Mets series, a it was so damn good, to uh, for two things. One, it was good to see Buck Showalter back here in Baltimore. Uh, that is a man, and especially when you just heard me go off on John Angels, he is the the first man 
that brought act that brought an attitude and a mindset of commitment to excellence and an attitude and a culture of winning and producing a product to be proud of. He is the first. If you're a Gen Z Oreo fan or a or a Zennial or uh, or a Zennial, the older millennials remember the Davy Johnson teams of the '90s. But if you're a Zennial that that millennial that's born in the in the early mid '90s, just before that '96 '97 you know gap that bridge if you're a Zennial Orioles fan or a Gen Z Orioles fan like myself you Buck Showalter his asinine decision to uh to bring in Jimenez instead of Britain in the 16 wildcard game against Toronto be damned the disgusting embarrassing nauseating 2018 season be damned Buck Showalter, if you're an Orioles fan worth their salt, that's a Gen Zer. He holds a special place in your heart because he was the first guy that because he was the guy that ended that aforementioned '98 to 2011 stretch of losing baseball. He was the he was the guy that that got that brought you your first and to this date, if you're as if you're in my age range. Uh, only division championship you've seen your team win. They've they, he brought you your only playoff series that you've seen this team win. Your only AL, ALCS appearance that you've seen this team win. He just brought respectability and accountability to the Orioles organization, and the work that he did and the memories that he supplied. Uh, you know, I am, I know he had his, you know, he got swept by an inferior Royals team in a 14 ALCS, the Zach Britton thing two years. I, listen, I get that. But at the same time, man, I can't, Buck Showalter will always, always, always mean something to me and every single Orioles fan worth their salt for the work that he did with this team from, the August of 2010 to to you know his departure in 2018 he'll always always and it was so, and it was so great to see him get cheered the signs the chants uh the uh the video tribute before the game last Friday and just seeing him at Oriole Park at Camden Yards managing a game again albeit as weird and as crazy as it was seeing him sitting on the third base dugout and not sitting not either and not with his arms up against the ledge or sitting by the Earl Weaver plaque on the first base dugout which I've been accustomed to seeing him ad infinitum for those eight or nine seasons that he was with us it still was it was great to see him and uh, it's a shame that and listen he has he had his bonehead asinine moments, you know, with with the media, and and he's tried too hard in painting a positive brush and finding a silver lining when the Mets season was going to hell. And did he have his asinine uh, managerial moments, not just with the media, but with managing his bullpen and his lineup cards? Absolutely. But I mean, 
he is sent, I mean, the team is going nowhere fast. He's getting older, not younger. He has more of his MLB managerial career behind him than he does in front of him. And he's stuck on this lame duck team that's going nowhere, man. A year after his team looked like a World Series favorite, uh, and not just the East, but in the National League, I feel so bad for him. My heart goes out to him. I tweeted, you know, jokingly, hey, Steve Cohen, put Buck out of his misery. Let him out of his contract, and he can stay here and be a special advisor Something and and ninety percent of the roster, you know, wasn't here when Buck was managing the team in eight and seventeen and eight. The only guys left are what Santander, Cedric Mullins, uh, Austin Hayes, uh, Dylan Tate, and what Michael Given. That's it. Everybody else, who who the hell's Buck Show? Adley Rutschman, who's Buck Showalter? So I mean, keep them around somewhere because. If this team, in spite of Angelos's and the toxicity that he has unleashed on this franchise, essentially all season long, if you really want to be honest, going back to the whole fiasco with the lease, which has me just as much pissed as the Kevin Brown scenario, he should be he deserves to be along for the ride for 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 this for this beautiful season thus far that that we've had. So I feel bad for him and the fact that he's basically stuck in baseball. Uh, purgatory for the rest of the season uh, with uh, for the rest of the season uh, with the fact that the Mets unlike the Yankees were smart enough and weren't as prideful to admit that they were going nowhere fast that their chances of making a playoffs were slim to none they blew up the team they traded pieces away and so I feel bad. That's the first thing I took from the Mets series. Second thing I took from the Mets series was how beautiful, and I highlighted this during my rant, of how beautiful it was to see the ballpark packed. I would have liked it to be a little bit more buzzing and jumping on Friday night, but it's still it was a decent, respectful crowd. Nevertheless, on Friday night, uh, when they had their first blowout win in the City Connects, uh, that was a beautiful sight to behold. Uh, the James McCann uh, revenge game with the five RBI night against his former team. I mean, how crazy was that? And then I was in person at the game on Saturday night. Eddie, Mur Eddie Murray, a uh, bobblehead night, the reunion 40th anniversary of the 83 championship team. Uh, you know, and they got the crowd. I mean, everyone knows that, the, that, that Baltimore still loves and will always love Cal Ripken Jr. But a player that that you know that I've noticed that has real that really 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 uh, from the old teams that they beloved and that they hold just as dear just as near and dear to their heart as they do Cal Ripken and that's Eddie Murray. I mean Eddie Murray was when he had he had his name chanted, you know as Brett Hollander was reading his his uh, his his introductory old you know biography with the team he had his name chanted eddie and which was a popular thing when he was here not just at the stadium or Brian camden yards when he came back in the mid 90s but also in the heydays of the late 70s early 80s in his first thing with the orioles when they of course played at memorial stadium he had his name chanted while brett hollander was reading off the thing was reading off his uh was reading off his uh 
his uh, rap sheet with that championship team in 83. And then, you know, they played the video of his, of his postseason highlights from that 83 season. And they chanted his name again while he was getting called. He was walking out onto the field. They chanted it even more, even after he got introduced and waved to the crowd. They chanted his name again when the ceremony was up. It was a beautiful, I mean, he's walking out on the field, you know, with tears, with tears in his eyes. Hugging his, hugging his, uh, his, his teammates and his lifelong friend. It was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Also, the fact it was his bobblehead night as well. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sight, man. Baltimore loves Cal Ripken, but I, but I tell you some Eddie Murray, man. It, I, 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 he's as much as the Baltimore Orioles, man. As as Cal, as Frank. As Earl, as Jim, it doesn't get no better than Eddie Murray, man. I had to. You want to? I mean, if you're asking my personal opinion, yes, Cal is on. If you'd ask me, Jai, you're Mount Rushmore. You can't put her away as manager. You're Mount Rushmore, greatest words of all time. I'm going Jim. I'm going Jim Palmer, Frank Robinson, Eddie Murray, Cal Ripken Jr. The Orioles aren't as, don't win the championships that they have, and just are not the team that they were back in the back in their uh, heyday, seventies through the eighties, especially without Frank and without Eddie. Those those two guys, man. Those, I mean that that it didn't make me well up, but it, it was a heartwarming thing to see. Seeing his name getting chanted like that, as loud and as passionate, Cal's Cal got an ovation. Cal got you didn't hear Cal, Cal Junior. You know, no rib. No, you didn't. Not even for Jim. No, it was Eddie. And that man, that was something special to see. Special to see. Uh, and the crowd Saturday night was was the best that it was the entire weekend. Sold out crowd. Gates open two hours early. Early was a complete treat to see. Tony went deep. Obviously, Gunner went deep in the game. Offense uh, kept it up. It was the Jeff McNeil show for the Mets offensively that night. That was about it. And then Sunday, and then Sunday they found a way. Pitching was good. Bullpen was great. Uh, although this series against the Astros notwithstanding, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, and the bats were quiet compared to what they were f- uh, Saturday and last Friday. They found a way to win uh, to sweep the New York Mets. Then Monday comes along. They come out hot. Uh, Mountie goes deep. Adley goes deep. And you're saying to yourself, okay, well, and this is in the aftermath of what happened, obviously, Monday with the whole Angelo's thing, and it's like, well, this team totally is unfazed uh, by by the last 24 hours, and, you know, Grayson pitched his ass off, bullpen folded, uh, allowing, you know, they had a, a five, they had a, what, a, a five nothing, and then they had a uh, 6-2, they had a five nothing and a 6-2 lead. Bullpen and a, a uttered embarrassment. Felix Bautista, he's human uh, after all. And the Astros, again, they're not the defending champions. You know, 
in name only. They are a damn good gritty baseball team that's starting to hit their stride at just at the right time. You know, they still have you know they still have their flaws. Uh, you know, they still like every team. They still you know they're they're a flawed team and they have their moments where if you're an Astro fan that looks at the that looks at this team under a magnifying glass like I do with my Orioles, you know, you're obviously you're encouraged, you're happy, you're pumped up, but you know deep down inside, I'm still seeing this, which is what plagued us in April, May, June, you know, and ba- and was the reason why we were barely keeping our heads above water in the spring and in some certain moments I'm seeing it here in games in August. And we got to find a way to nip that in the bud because in October, our experience and us being the defending champs be damned. You know, We all know the margin for error in October baseball is slim to freaking none. Uh, and the perfect example is the fact of how the Orioles were able to jump on. And I give the Orioles credit. And that's one thing about the Orioles that does not scare me in October. The Orioles can hit good pitching. They can hit Garrett Cole. They can hit Framber Valdez. Obviously, they they beat the piss out of Max Free before he went on the IL back in early. The Orioles can hit good. They bad pitching is when they scam me. Is when they allow a, a pitcher with the ERA, you know, over four to to, to look like a Cy Young candidate. Uh, but they but when but when the lights shine the brightest in terms of going up against a squad's best starting pitcher, more likely than not, and more frequently than not, this season the Orioles have been able to rise to the occasion. So that so that does not bother me with uh, with with my team whatsoever by any stretch of the imagination. They're able to jump on Frambera Valdez, but our bullpen man has got to do better than that. Five nothing five nothing lead, six two lead, up by five, up by four runs, and up by three. I understand Felix is human, but man, he shouldn't have even with a five run lead and then a four run lead. He shouldn't have even been in the game to begin with. And what you know, drop third strike, James McCann. Uh, Jorge Mateo, which again, and I don't know how many times I gotta scream it. I and I'll scream it and I'll shout it from rooftops until I don't until I don't have a voice anymore until I'm blue in the face. There is no logical, reasonable, baseball savvy, baseball intelligent explanation as to why Jorge Mateo is a still on his roster in the month of August. Injuries with everyone else be damned. Plus the fact. Why he is in center field? I even I saw him. He went into the game in center field on Saturday, late Saturday night in the game. I tweeted at the. It's like why why the why why the blank is Jorge Mateo in in this game and let alone playing in center field? Now it didn't bite us in the ass against the Mets on Saturday night, but it did Monday night against against the Houston routine fly ball that Mullins, that Hayes, that Cowser, that Kyle Stout. I mean, any any actual outfielder that's on the 26 to 40 man roster that's worth their salt, you know, they catch that ball. Aaron Hicks, I don't know, he botched a similar play like that against the Dodgers 50 50 outside of him. Hick, uh, Hayes, Mullins, Kowser, Stowers, uh, even Anthony, even Anthony, they catch that ball. Case closed, period, and they, they catch that ball. And I understand they made a nice catch early in the game. It's a what have you done for me lately business in sports. How many times do I have to tell you guys that? And he goes out there, he, he takes a horrendous route to the ball, misplays it, 
Now, fortunately, at the time, we thought that it was a blessing in disguise because no other, because the Astros base runners barely moved, barely made any traction on the bases because they, like everybody else, thought that it was going to be a for sure catch for Jorge Mateo, and they didn't want to risk wasting a base runner and trading it in for a. For by you know trading in by running into an a a a an egregious out in the ninth inning, but uh, when down da- down by multiple runs when base runners are you know you need them more than the individual one run coming across the plate at the time, but he ends up dropping the ball gives the Astros an extra out. Uh, Kyle, uh, James McCann, who for some ungodly reason was catching the game instead of Ali Rushman when Grayson was on the mound. Which I, I told coming off of an off day, which I which I truly truly do not. I understand you got to keep Adley's legs fresh, and you're thinking down the road about September and October when you need him on the plate. But that, but against the Astros, game one I, made no sense to me with Grayson, a guy that Adley has had rapport with all season long, and even back to their time in the minor leagues and spring training, this that and the third, and Adley's DHing and James McCann's behind the plate. I mean, made no sense to me whatsoever. And then here it is, uh, Batista and Kyle Tucker having that bet, having that bet duel for the ages. And you know, dry, all uh, James McCann has to do is hold on to the baseball, and it's a, and it's a strikeout on a foul tip. You know, caught behind home plate, he drops the ball. Kyle Tucker's at bat lives on. He gets the bat, the best of Batista, and he hits the ball over the right field fence for a grand slam to give the to give the Astros a what a one run to give the Astros a one run lead. Hits a grand slam. Astros up seven six. Orioles get the get the life punched out of them. They lose the game seven six. And a game that really would have been a statement win. They would have kept the win. They would have stretched the winning streak to five games. Grayson's, he would have gotten a win. Instead, his fantastic performance flushed down the toilet against the defending champs. The whole background noise with with the Kevin Brown and I mean that possibly would have been a would have been a a a tremendous dark horse for best win of the season had the Oreo, had Batista found a way to found a way to get out of that uh, ninth inning uh, with without giving up that grand slam to Kyle Tucker. Who did nothing but kick her ass in the series, and he's a damn good hitter, damn good player. So I'm not so. My I don't even really. It's annoying. It's frustrating as hell. It pitches her off, but uh, but I mean he's a good player, and the Ast- and again the Astros are defending World Series champions for a reason. That's a good team over there. That's got dogs. That's got they have world champions on the roster, uh, and. And borderline, if not guaranteed, Hall of Famers on the roster: Verlander, among others; Dusty Baker, Hall of Fame manager. So, no shade against the Astros. Now, granted, do I need the the Astros fan, which sent, which since the cheating scandal have been have made it their made it their business to be one of the to to compete with Yankee fans as the biggest. Uh, douchebags and all of uh, biggest douchebag fan base and all of baseball. Do I need to stomach that? No, but there. But if you were to say they they have a right to be cocky, yeah, they have a right to be cocky because they have a damn good baseball team. And now, granted, they also took advantage of a bad situation for the Orioles. 
I'm not sure if the, and all reason, and before you sit up and say, no, Jai, the, you know, you're full of crap, this, that, and the third. Well, hold on now. You look back at how the, how the, how the Orioles under Brandon Hyde's tenure have played against the Houston Astros the last few seasons in 2022, 21, and I believe even 19, they've had, they have, they have had a damn good track track record against the Astros even in their rebuilding years when they did not when they lost when they were losing 100 games a season they found a way they found a way to rise to the occasion and play their best ball of the season against the cream of the crop in the American League in Houston so i don't want to hear none of this garbage well well no 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 no, no you can't say that we're just we're the Astros we're defending champs we're big bad we were going to beat the Orioles regardless if that fiasco with the Kevin Brown thing doesn't leak and doesn't break on the Orioles off day on Monday, and either, ha- and either it gets made aware of way before that in a more formal manner, manner, or it doesn't happen to begin with. Considering the fact that the Orioles' previous track record against Houston has been very good, historically speaking, and considering the fact that these that this Orioles team is worlds better than the 22 and 21 teams that took the Astros to the cleanest. I'm not too sure that the Astros win this series. So they're good. They're dangerous. They're the team to beat in the American League with us, you know, by definition still having the league's best record. But does Houston beat us in our building coming off of, you know, with the four-game history coming off of the Mets series? If the Kevin Brown thing doesn't happen, I'm not so sure. I'm not. I'm not so sure. Cause we're be, because I'm not so sure. So, yes, the and also you have to keep in mind when Dusty goes up, you know, to the White House and base. I understand that it was all in good fun and good nature. Him to get some laughs, but you know. The last thing you want to do is is give an underdog uh, any incentive of motivation or any added fuel to their fire. Any they again, the Orioles aren't in last place out of it, you know, with you know nothing to play for. First place, number one seed in the American League, seventy plus wins, the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, going up against the defending champions in their building when they, up until Monday night, have been kicking ass and taking names. The last thing Dusty Baker needed to do uh, was was get the, was give the Orioles some bulletin board material. I understand maybe in good fun and in lighthearted nature, but still, I, I, and and I guarantee something else too. Because all because also if this KB if this Angelos KB fiasco doesn't happen, that is the story of the series instead of what's going on in the in the owners box in the owners suite. We're talking about Dusty Baker, you know, bumping his gums, you know, to the to the White House press instead of John Angelos and him acting like a dictator with his asinine suspension and his ass-backwards logic behind it in the, in the handlings of Kevin Brown. So, the Astros are good, and they also happen to take advantage of 
of everything breaking right for them. The fact that they have Verlander, not us. The fa- the, the the fiasco with the with the Angel with Angelos on the off day, thus taking away the attention from his comments that he made uh, during the off day at the White House. So, it's just something to uh, keep in mind. But and the fact that you know that everyone should everyone and their mother should have been talking about the fact that this arguably you know was a World Series preview that we had the last three days. And that was and, and that conversation wasn't as loud because the because the talk of people like me included screaming from the rooftops about how much of a despicable human being John John Angelos is, you know, precede and took uh, you know, took over took over the conversation surrounding my Orioles. So that that you know, and then they and they and then last night you know Flaherty, rough you know rough early innings, and Astros picked up right where they left off from the ninth inning on Monday night, and the Orioles you know were hitless with runners in scoring position last night, and it was the Austin Hayes show, and that was it. And another thing too, he may you know, it's August, it's not April, and I understand. You know, all the sets of circumstances that he's human. He's not an American citizen, relatively new to the country. Then he has to move cross country in the middle of his season and and get used to life with the new time zone and the way things are different in Baltimore compared to Oakland and new teammates when he when he isn't uh, when he can't speak it. I I I'm sympathetic towards that. I'm empathetic, and I get that. I understand that. But from a baseball standpoint, Fujinami cannot get the ball in a close game of any kind. You can even make the argument he shouldn't even be on the postseason roster as of right now. He shouldn't get the ball in a September, let alone in an October game, close game of any kind with, with the game tied or us up one or two or three or down one or two. Or three. He shouldn't be getting the ball, period, case closed, past the sixth inning. He can't. Does he have an? Is his splitter jaw dropping? Yes. Can he throw gas? Yes. But in 2023 Major League Baseball, that's not foreign or earth shattering or confidence shattering to hitters now. Ten years ago, one thing. In today's game, no. Is is it? You know, and can hitters still look foolish? You know, with devastating splitters, and then and then the and then you know, hundred and three mile an hour fastballs, absolutely, hundred percent. But we've seen this with every flame, with every flamethrower that's had their moment in the sun over the last five to eight seasons within the sport. That you know, that has a devastating breaking pitch, and then with to boot can throw one oh one, one oh two, one or one oh three in their sleep. A Rodas Chapman is a perfect example. Teams are not, and hitters in today's game are not threatened or intimidated by it now, like they were, you know, when they, like when they were ten year, ten or so years ago. the The game has changed that because now they have with with technology, analytics, training, this, that, and the third. 
hitters are trained and equipped themselves to hit pitches. At least the fat, at least those high velocity fastballs, they train themselves and condition themselves to hit pitches like that. So then, so the hitters seeing 103 and or 101 or 99 and 2023 when it's right down in the heart of the plate is looked at the same way, you know, 15 years ago at a, at a 92, 93, 94, you know, 89-mile-an-hour fastball. If you put it across a plate where, where the hitter can get their can get their hands across and put wood and put good wood on it, they're gonna do damage. Felix Batista, as great of a season as he's had, perfect example as well. Yeah, you can you can throw heat to Aaron Judge and Kyle Tucker to the cows come on, but if you put it in their wheelhouse, they're too good of a hitter for them to for them to if when they get that pitch in their in their sweet spot, they're too good of a hitter to not capitalize on it. And more likely than not, because they because their bat speed is going to be quicker and they're going to have much more power to you know to to offset and to match the level of speed and intensity and and velocity that the ball has going in. More likely than not, if they make square side contact on it, the ball is going to go out because they say, okay, in order for me to do something with this pitch. I, my my bat speed and my and my and the quickness in my wrist has to be as strong and 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 my lower body has to be as strong and as powerful as as the ball is and as the pitcher's arm is when is when it's coming into the plate. I gotta match it myself with my bat speed and my strength personally in the batter's box when I'm trying to attempt to hit this going out. So more likely than not, you know, the ninety, the ninety-seven, the ninety-eight, the hundred-mile-an-hour fastball that that gets put right in the heart of the plate for a, for a good for a hitter with with a good power and and, uh, and 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 solid and a solid batter's eye, they're gonna drive it. Judge when he hit the tying home run back in May, perfect example. Kyle Tucker Monday night, same thing. These guys are too good of hitters for you to for you to put fastballs in their sweet spot when they expect it, and then you expect them to hit a miss. Now, if they're sitting on a split or sitting on a breaking pitch, you know, you know, and they sit on that, and you blow a fastball by them right at their chest, that's one thing. That's one thing. You you pin a, you pin a high fat you pin a fastball right there on on a black and you paint it beautifully and they expect it to you know kind of edge at the last minute outside or out excuse me off the plate that's one thing, but if you go but if especially the longer and longer the at bat goes the more the better and better that the advantage goes to the hitter because the hitter knows what hitter knows what's coming he knows what he's getting he knows what he sees. Especially if he's fouling him off, fouling him off like Tucker did Monday night. Eventually, he's going. He's going to get. He, eventually, he's going. He's too good of a hitter, too skilled, too good of a. He's going to get his bat around, and he's going to do something with it if he if he makes solid contact. If he whiffs, he whiffs. But if he makes solid contact, he's going to do damage, and that's what Tucker did Monday night. So, and I say all that to say, Fuji can't get the ball over the plate. And you're doing yourself and you're doing the team no favors when you're walking the ballpark. I mean, the guy has two outs, one run game 
Orioles still have a shred of hope of winning the game last night, and he's walking the ballpark. Seven, eight, nine hitters to put Mike Bauman in a tricky spot facing the top of the Astros lineup that has done nothing but do damage the previous two the previous two games, Monday night and last night. And what happens? The Astros blow the game open. Three two, you look up becomes seven to two, then eight to two. So, and then thank God they bounced back today. Dean Kramer, who always rises to the occasion against Houston, had a good, had a very solid outing today. Bullpen made it interesting as per usual. In the end, Felix shaky in the ninth inning with the bases loaded yet again. This time he bounces back. Uh, he bounces back from his snafu on Monday night. Orioles find a way. Mountie goes deep like Monday night. Mountie goes deep. Adley goes deep. Uh, some nice insurance hitting. James McCann had a solid day at the plate today. Orioles avoid a sweep. They tell John Angels, you won't break our souls, in the words of the great Beyonce, Houston native, by the way, in case you guys didn't know. Uh, and they find a way to to salvage a game, avoid getting swept, and they close out what doesn't feel like it, but close out a relatively productive homestand with a 4-2 a record as they head west for a lengthy road trip that, quite honestly, they need like a person dying of thirst needs a, needs a gallon of water. They need to get away from the stench and the toxicity and the negative energy and the bad vibes in, 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 that lay within the ether of, of the city and of the stadium. And they, you know, they need to get away from that. They need to get away. For a long time, and there's no better cure than going out. Will I be upset and pissed off if the games be 10 o'clock at night? You know, especially during the week when I got to get up at 7 a.m. to go to work the next day. Yes, but you know what? If it means that this team gets back to the way they were playing prior to Monday afternoon, you know what? I'm all for it. They go out there on the road against Seattle, uh, San Diego, and Oakland. And they win every series, and they're fortunate enough to to sweep either Seattle or San Diego. And Seattle's playing hot right now. Oak San Diego is their season's going up in smoke, and the Oakland A's with the Oakland A's, and they find a way to sweep them after they struggled to take a series against them in uh, in uh, in uh, mid-April. You know what? I'd take it. Get get away from this foolishness. Put it all behind you. Get escape out west three hours behind you don't have to you know deal with the pressure with the city and all that negative energy get away from it get back to playing your game bullpen's got to pull its head out of his ass and get it together now i need sensational outings from starting pit from starting pitching like dean did today like grace did monday night and get back to to playing winning orioles baseball and bring that orioles magic back we hope that it that it disappeared for the two days and and it made its return on Thursday. Let's hope it sticks around for the rest of the season. So that's where you stand with my Orioles. Uh, in terms of the rest of the league is concerned, Tim with the Tim Anderson Jose Ramirez fight on Saturday night, one of the, arguably, in all honesty, one of the best baseball fights I've seen. In quite a long time, where the two guys actually dropped their gloves and duked it out in the on the middle of the playing surface, like it was a hockey fight, 
And like, you know, the hot, the NHL referees, the umpire was like, oh, just step back and just let them duke it out and then separate it at the end. Take their, take their names and numbers and kick them out once this all blows over. But, you know, Tim Anderson, who has gone out of his way, whether you, you know, right, wrong, indifferent about him, uh, you know, doesn't matter, you know, take your pick. But he has made himself a polarizing figure within the uh, White Sox locker room, not just the baseball fans media like, but among uh, the clubhouse, him him getting into it with Yasmani Grandal because Grandal wanted to leave a day or so early before the All-Star break. Anderson held him accountable. Grandal didn't like it. You know, he has had a very substandard now. He's been plagued with injury throughout the majority of his young career, but this season he hasn't had one of his more uh, memorable, uh, positive uh, seasons. So, and, and he gets into it with Jose Ramirez. Ramirez says, hey, this guy has been raking the nerves of the league, you know, and I'm paraphrasing for quite a long time now. I didn't like the way he basically was standing in his disposition when I slid into second base. I had a problem with it, so we took it back to the old school and we duped it out. And I, you know, knocked him out, had him go night-night, had to, you know, got him across the jaw, dropped him, had Anderson had to get helped by his teammates off the field. And uh, since then, the, the White Sox have played with a little bit of life which helps when you're playing the hapless New York Yankees, who I won't spend uh, much more on them that I aren't that I haven't already spent. Yankees starting pitching outside of Garrett Cole is atrocious. Why Severino is still on the roster and the Yankees shot him out there every fifth day, sending him up to fail? I have no idea. They can't win Garrett Cole. They can't win games in which Garrett Cole starts, which is an even, which is another added problem onto the laundry list of problems for the New York Yankees this season. Their offense, you know, they some nights they have it, and then some nights they just don't. Aaron Boone, clueless as the day is long, and then you hear news of Brian Cashman. He'll be back in 2024. How? Based on what exactly? Putting together this garbage roster, you're not going to make the playoffs in all likelihood. What are you going to do? Throat now, Boone is just as much as to blame for the Yankees' failures as Cashman is, but Boone doesn't create the roster. The GM does, and this... One man in this roster, a one-dimensional roster where it's one great player and then the other 25 great players, you know, some of them are mediocre at best. The others are unwatchable and an unmitigated disaster at their worst. And then, the, and then what's left is kind of, you know, young talent that still needs room and needs time to grow and prosper, and yet they can't because Aaron Boone's not put him in the best position to succeed in some set of circumstances because of how the roster is constructed, which is Brian Cashman's fault. This team hasn't had a left hasn't had a left fielder all season long. You know, the Aaron Hicks contracts, the Jacoby Ellsbury's contracts, the Joey Gallo contract. It's been a mess. A complete a complete and utter mess. And you go his team is out there you say you're all in, you say you want to buy, you're, you still think you're a World Series contender, and yet Cashman sits on his hands and does nothing but add, but bring in another 
bullpen arm for Aaron Boone to run out to the mound every single five seconds to go to pulling his pitches when they do have a good day at the office prematurely. When when his when his team can't hit, especially with runners with scoring position, they have no left fielder and their starting pitching staff with Garrett Garrett Cole with that, you know with him notwithstanding in a positive manner. His start with a starting pitching staff that leaves a lot to be desired, and he goes out there and brings in some some middle reliever, you know, from the Chicago White Sox, and says, "Yeah, okay, we're we're serious about making a World Series run." I mean, really, Cash, really. And Hal says, "Yeah, he'll be back for 2024." When the guy's been there for 25 years, he's New York Yankees big time payroll, this, that, and third. And and also with a period of time, you know, when they've had opportunities to beat up on the likes of the Orioles, and and during a certain uh, time during the 2010s decade, the Tampa Bay Rays, so you know, who were basement dwellers along with the Blue Jays, along with the Red Sox, who've had their moments at times as well too, in the AL East, which financially they have the biggest advantage in, you know, as anybody in the sport. And it's been, what, 13, 14 years since they last played slash won a World Series in 2009? The Phillies have been to a World Series. I mean, do I have to go through this again for the 9,000th time? The Phillies have been to a World Series since then. The 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 Tampa Bay Rays in their own within their own division have been to a World Series since then. The Red Sox have been to World Series in 13 and in 18 since then. I mean, come on. The Royals went to back-to-back World Series. Look at where the Royals are now. I mean, people can sit there and say everything, anything they want about the Royals and how they're basically there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And Bobby Witt has looked like a complete flop thus far in his major league career at this point in time. But throughout their tanking and them not drawing flies at the games at Kauffman Stadium, they do have 2014 and 15 to roll back on. Back-to-back World Series appearances on a World Series title. Some that the New York Yankees haven't had to brag about since the since the late '90s, early 2000s. The Astros have been the mo- who the Yankees can't ever beat. Who make up every excuse in the book on why they can't beat them, from cheating to the roof being open and all the bull jive that the organization has spewed over the years. They've been to World Series, and now if you want to throw the cheating the cheating year out the window, 17, fine. But they've been to World Series in 2019. They've been to the World Series in 21, and they've been to the World Series in 22. So even without the cheating season, they've been to they've been to three World Series. And if you say, well, there was some some questionable stuff with the lapel thing with Altuve in nineteen, okay, you throw that out the window. They've been to back to back World Series in twenty one and twenty two, and and in the twi- and in the one and twenty two, they beat the Yankees in a uncompetitive ALCS to do it. Then what? Uh, so what what's, what's the what's the, what's the excuse now? If you want to throw out the 17 and 19 cheating, okay, fine. 21-22, back-to-back AL champions, World Series championship. And the then-named Cleveland Indians got to a World Series in 2016. I mean, shall I continue? Outside of Outside of the... The Detroit Tigers, the Baltimore Orioles, 
the Toronto Blue Jays, the Seattle Mariners, the Oakland A's, and the LA Angels. I mean, there, there's a lot of te- there's quite a few teams in the American League since '09 have had a lot have put together a much more prouder of a product in terms of competing and winning World Series championships in the New York Yankees. That's the Red Sox, that's the Rays, that's the Royals, that's the that's the Indians, now Guardians, that's the that's the Astros. Again, the only teams that leave you are the, are the are the Blue Jays, the Orioles, the rest of the AL Central and the rest of the AL West. Not even because the because the Rangers made the back to, they lost, but they made the back to back World Series in two thousand ten and two thousand eleven. So and you're the New York Yankees that have more that have more money than all the other teams within the, within all the other fourteen teams in the American League. And what's the excuse? You put together these garbage rosters, giving the wrong players the big bucks, and yet Cashman comes back. Who, come on, Hal. Come on. Boone up in the air, knowing good and full well that Boone is a, I understand, lousy manager, excuse maker, soft manager breeds a soft team, and a soft team breeds losing. But we he's a, come on. Boone's undecided, but Brian Cashman all of a sudden is scot-free and he doesn't have to share any of the blame. Get off it, Al. What else? Angel season in free fall. They had a long losing streak where they didn't where they couldn't win a game post the all-star break. I told you guys at the time I say it again. Astros dumbass team, dumbass organization ran by dumbass people. You know, if you know the history of the Astro of the excuse me, the Angels organization and how they've been ran the last, the last handful of seasons and how it's been with Trout by himself and now Trout and Otani on the team, you know that the Angels they they always every single time you give them the benefit of the doubt and you think they're going to make some headway, they get in their own damn way. You know, whether it's the fact that that the other guys within the lineup can't post. Bullpen blowing leads left and right. They can't. They have no starting pitching outside of Otani. Whatever it is, Phil Nevin, who can't manage his way out of a paper bag. Whatever it is, every single time you turn around, the Angels get find a way to get in their own damn way. And and you look up at the standings every single morning. You wake up, Mike and EOC, and the Angels are just further and further and further and further away from getting the sixth seed and the third and final wild card spot. The Angels have nobody to blame with themselves. Dumbass team ran by dumbass people owned by a dumbass and Artie Moreno. You go out there and you say, oh, what the hell? Let's try to convince, trying to, you know, get, selling yourself on the bells and whistles and the emotionalism of keeping Shohei Otani instead of being objective and being heartless is not the word I want to use, but it, but it fits. Taking the taking your emotions and the bells and whistles and the and the feel good goody good good you know feel tingle goodness inside and saying look, Shohei, we love you but we gotta we we can't continue to go down this road in this and this never ending path of mediocrity and heartbreak. 
if we are fortunate enough to sign to get you back in the off season, we'll take our chances. We, you know, we're not ran by the Angeloses who are who are cheap as hell. You know, we we do give out, we do we we do go out there and spend money. Rendon, Trout, we do go out there and spend, Josh Hamilton, Albert Pujols, we spend money. If we can get you in the, in the off season, we get you in the off season. But right now, this team, this season, our season's going nowhere fast. We wish you the best of luck. Trade you for a Hall of Prospects as much as we can get, you know, for a two, three month rental. And if we can get bring you back in the off season, we'll do we'll do the best we can to bring you back. That's what they should have did. Instead, they were prideful and dumb about it. Pride comes before the fall. As a result, Angels playoff hopes say goodnight. What else do I want to talk about? Uh, NFL training camp stuff. Uh, you know, why Ron Rivera decided to air out the dirty laundry that Biennemi is, a, is you know, rough around the edges in terms of his coaching philosophy with the Commanders, another team that, has never won a, that hasn't won a damn thing in eons. And Rivera, who a bit as nice as a guy as he is, with you know him being a cancer survivor and he's an A and he's a first class human being, on in terms of him being a being a a, a a NFL head coach that can produce consistent results, he leaves a lot left to be desired. And do I need him airing the dirty laundry of Bienemy, who unlike Rivera is a now Rivera was a Super Bowl champion as a player with the Chicago Bears, but as a head coach, he hasn't won a damn thing. Yes, he had a great season with the Panthers in 2015, but if you recall, his team was a no-show and imploded against the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 50 in February of 2016, if you remember correctly, and then the team was never the same after that After that uh, fantastic, memorable, entertaining season. So, And I got him, Aaron Dirty Laundry, of Eric Bieniemy, who I get it, you can decipher, is it Mahomes' genius, is it Andy Reid's genius, and or both. I get that, but Bieniemy's won as a coach in the National Football League multiple times. You, my friend, have not. You've coached in one Super Bowl and lost. Bieniemy has coached in what? He's coached in three, and he's won 2-0. Coached in three, one and two of them. Has coached in an AFC Championship game every single freaking year since he's been under Kansas since in his tenure with Kansas City. Can we stop, please? The the, the Commanders with with new ownership maybe maybe they need that that kind of that 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 cold water introduction to some tough love. Be enemies saying, hey, new ownership. Coming, I'm coming off Super Bowl championship. My damn self, there's going to be some changes around around these parts. New starting quarter, there needs to be some changes. It's going to be painful going down. It's going to be tough. Going to be difficult. You know, training, training camp. You know, Lord knows how 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 tedious and how tumultuous, how difficult. I can't pronounce that word for whatever reason. How difficult and how mentally and emotionally draining it is. But it's for, but it's to make the team better, not to make the team worse. So if I'm Rivera, I'd keep my mouth shut, let the enemy do his thing. As long as not, as long as he stays within the lines. If he wants to be a hard ass during training camp, if it makes his team and makes his offense better, let him. Because his, because the Commanders certainly need it, and Ron Rivera certainly needs it. What the 
fiasco of coordinators that you know the and coordinator that he had what uh, Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator for Washington. Come on, come on. Washington needs a little bit of that. If he can bring some of that, if he can bring an ounce of that championship attitude and mindset that was in Kansas City over to Washington, trust me, they'll be better off. And a and a and a substandard NFC where it's one or two top dogs, and then the rest is either you know, is either very good, slightly above average, mediocre, or outright trash. It could do Washington a a, a favor if the enemy is a little bit of a hard ass. Could do them big time favors. You know, August. You know, I, I get it, but if you if Washington ends up ending the season, you know, ten and seven, eleven and six at best, nine and eight with a wild card spot, and they find a way to win a playoff game and make either, I don't know. San Francisco or Philadelphia sweat in a, in, a, in a second round road playoff game middle of January. You know what? You'd be you'd be glad he he was an asshole in, during training camp in July and August. Trust me. You'll you'll be thanking him. You'll be thanking him. What other training camp stuff? Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. I saw this earlier this week. I thought it was interesting. The idea that if Odell Beckham Jr. hadn't ripped up his leg in the Super Bowl, that the Rams would have had a runaway. He said 45 or 55 to 10, something along those lines. The idea that, and I because I saw that earlier this week, made the headlines. The idea that Odell somehow thinks in his mind that the Rams would have ran away and hid with Super Bowl 56 is the biggest crock of bullshit. I mean, who in the world does Odell think he's kidding? He is a Raven trying to earn his stripes with the fan base, with Harbaugh and the and the players within the locker room, trying to add fuel onto the what's now starting to be the new Ravens Steelers in terms of Bengals Ravens, the intense AFC North rivalry that takes the football world by storm. I mean, who does he think he's kidding? All it is is just fodder that's building up anticipation, building up the rivalry for week two, the Bengals' home opener on September the 17th. Because the I come on. If you watch that game with your eyes and watch it intently and objectively, there was not that game was not going to be a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. The Rams couldn't run the ball worth a damn. McVay was out the lunch with his with his play calling and with his clock management. His uh, Aaron Donald was nowhere to be found until the fourth quarter when he got into that scuffle and took on the entire uh, Bengals offensive line in the fourth. Until that moment where he got into the Bengals offensive line, Aaron Donald was nowhere to be found in the game. I mean. Let's be fair. Let's be. Uh, he had a sensational Hall of Fame Lawrence Taylor esque fourth quarter. As much as it pains me to say it, give him all the credit in the world. Until that fourth quarter, Aaron Donald was mum, and he was and he was not going up against you know Anthony Munoz at left tackle or going up against the Hogs defense for the Washington Redskins. Or or the or the Cowboys offensive line of the nineteen nineties. He for three quarters was nowhere, I mean nowhere, to be found. 
So in case we start mis misremembering crap, let's 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 set a reality check. For three quarters of that game, Aaron Donald was nowhere to be found. His he might as well not even gotten dressed and shown up for the game. Now, the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl is the quarter that matters the most. It's the biggest quarter all season long. All your season comes down to that to that fifteen minute period. But let's let's be frank. Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup won that game. And even with Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford's greatness in the in the second half and in the fourth quarter especially, if Aaron Donald is not on that field to to hurry Joe Burrow and throw Joseph on his ass and to and to and to force incomplete passes and rush throws and miscommunication and all the things along those lines, the Bengals win that game. Again, for the nine thousandth time, how many times gotta say this? If Joe Burrow has a second and a half to two to three seconds of added protection, he has Jamar Chase wide open down the near sideline for a sure guaranteed touchdown to win the game. And at the very least, it gets him in the field goal range and he sets up McPherson to kick a game-tying field goal in the force overtime. If Aaron Donald gets blocked an extra second and a half, two, two, three seconds, or is not on the field to begin with, the Bengals are Super Bowl champions. Case closed, period, end of story, Odell. Period, end of story. Nobody was blowing nobody out. McVay knew Taylor's game like Taylor knew McVay's game. Very, very rarely with Super Bowl 37 Gruden against the Raiders, very rarely do you see an assistant coach go up against his former team, especially in a championship setting, and the game is and the game is is, is a blowout. More likely than not, it's a, it's a fairly competitive tight football game. More likely than not. Very, very, every now and again you see him, but no. Especially when the two guys are offensive guys and McVay knows the plays that Taylor took from his offense with, and with the two weeks of preparation on time. Come on now. Come on. Game one going to be a blowout. No, no way, no how, no chance. Matthew Stafford, what, threw two interceptions in a game? Threw two interceptions. Rams couldn't run the ball, and their defense got taken to the cleaners by T. Higgins. I mean, Joe Mixon threw a touchdown pass. So, come on, Odell. If you... If you say, just come out and say it, that you're going to say something that's just going to add fuel to the Bengals, Ravens, Robert. Just come out and say that. Don't, don't bullshit us. Please. Please. The final score of the game was 23-20. Ram, Rams didn't eclipse 20 points in the final two minutes of, of the, of the, uh, of the fourth quarter. And Cooper Cup had a much better season and was a, and was a better player on that team than you were who you know and you showed up what middle of november 
in between Veterans Day and Thanksgiving? Come on, Odell. Check ego at the door, homie. Stop. What else? Is that it? I could care less about hard knocks with Aaron Rodgers. I am not interested. Hard knocks is not this is not the same. It ain't what it used to be. And I've heard and I've heard and I've had enough of the Aaron Rodgers slash rebirth of the New York uh, Jets love fest to last a lifetime. All I care about with the Jets is when week one kicks off that Monday night, September 11th, when they host the Buffalo Bills, how well is Aaron Rodgers going to play and what kind of season will the, will the Jets have? That's what I care about. I don't care about the fighter, his his kinship with Sauce Gardner, and the young I could care less. And it's about time to start winning some games. Two. Zach Wilson, he's a he's a problem for 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 2025. Win some games. Okay? Aaron, playoff time, win some games. Because now, if you because if you all of these all of this pomp and circumstance, you get the Jets to the playoffs and you fizzle out and and a whether it's at MetLife Stadium in Cincinnati, in Jacksonville, Baltimore, Denver, L.A., Kansas City, I care less. Who you're playing and where you're playing. You get the chance in the playoffs just to fizzle out in the first round again or in the championship game again, and you and your play doesn't uh, help compensate with the Jets' inexperience and you don't make enough plays, and you either play pedestrian or straight up stink up the joint in a championship game against Jets, you, my friend, will get the blame. Salah, eh. Rest of the team, eh. But if the game is tight, and it's the moment where they got to look to number eight to get him to a Super Bowl, and he comes up small again, that's it. That's it. I mean, if that doesn't break, the, if that ain't the shot that breaks the camel's back with Aaron Rodgers, I don't know what is. I don't think the Jets will get it done because of how congested the conference is. But from an Aaron Rodgers, not even necessary with the Jets. Jets, your goal is to make the playoffs, win 10-plus games, and win a playoff game. And then everything else from there is gravy. S- solely Aaron Rodgers we're talking about? leaving the other 52 players and the head coach out of it, Aaron Rodgers' goal is to win the Super Bowl. Point blank period in the story. Win the Super Bowl. Because the narrative is not the word I want to use, but the but his, his career arc and where he is right now in his career hasn't changed from being a Packer to a Jet. His out... His number, his address may be different. The the team he he's he's employed, the team that employs him may be different. His jersey number may be different. But the goal for him and where his and the arc and where he is at at this point in his career, that hasn't changed. If you get the Jets to the playoffs, you better show up, and you better take them deep. And again, 
And if the team screws up and comes up small because of inexperience and you play your heart out and you lose, that's one thing. But if it's 17-17 and you guys got the ball with three minutes to play and you pull the shit that you did in January, throwing interceptions left and right, costing them their season, I don't want to hear not another word. No hard knocks, McAfee, farting around with Taylor Swift, that's enough. That's enough. You're Aaron Rodgers, you find a way to win a Super Bowl. It may be unfair to the rest of his team, but the way Rodgers' career ended in Green Bay, he brought it upon himself. Case closed, period, end of story. And that is your show. And a very good and impassioned episode of the I'm going to tell you is like like podcast is in the books. If you haven't already, please follow your boy on Twitter. If you may, at the J Shield on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. Feel free to send in a voice uh, mail to the show. Uh, you, you can click the link at the uh, bottom of the description of this episode. Have a good weekend, everybody. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore is and the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast. Talk to you guys next week. Y'all stay safe. Be blessed. See ya.